1: The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at Imprint underscore Films, or one word, on Instagram, at Films no space. And finally, on the Facebook page, at imprintfilmsau. Welcome to another Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian. That's right, the Antipodes <laughs> internet about DVD culture. I'm your co-host, Blake Howard, and joining me, as always, is a lord. That's right, mm-hmm. bow down mm-hmm. to this Australian movie podcasting maestro. He found Drago. He lured the youngest filmmaker of all time, Sidney Ling, out of a mountaintop hiding spot. Ooh. And he's also the co-host himself of the Netflix film Buffett. Also Buffet, if you're <laughs> very French. And one half of the most incredible podcast about reboots in fact the only other podcast about movies on the internet total reboot (laughs) it's alexi toliopoulos hello sir we are back for a special third episode a bonus in this month's imprint batch
2: my god for the minute man blake howard pushing to three apps that is something very exciting
1: (laughs) and we are here for our third app for a very special unpacking unveiling a Roll of the dice, if you will, as was mm-hmm. teased at the end of the last episode. Spine 49, that rhymes, 1974's The Gambler. You got a class? Nope. Going hunting. Hunting what? Cash. What is it this time? Cockfights? Bingo. Did you lose light? a lot? A 1000
0: 2000 44000 You did not. $44,000? How are you going to get it? I'll get it.
1: Starring James Kahn, written by James Toback. His screenwriting debut, loosely adapted from a Dostoevsky story about a well-respected professor of literature at New York University who uses writing as a springboard for examining moral and philosophical issues. But when he is not teaching and influencing young minds, he's a hopeless gambling addict. And he is betting with his life. Alexi, tell the people why this damn sexy thing is so worthwhile to see in 1080p.
2: Let me tell you, Blake, since this was announced as a entry into the imprint canon of boutique Blu-ray films, I have been so excited to finally talk to you oh. about this movie because you and I have both grown up worshipping, bowing down to the altar that is the behemoth of cinema, one of the true icons of film, especially in this period of time, which is that new Hollywood era, Mr. James Kahn. He is one of my idols. Oh. He's one of the icons of my life. I dreamed of growing up to look like him when I was a teenager. That is true. I thought that if I thought about it enough, my face would begin to look like James Kahn when I was about 13 years old. I really did. I was like, if I just think about it, if I just dream about it, i will become tough and mask like james khan and be just as beautiful as him and oh my god this is one that i had not seen in a really long time probably since like i was in high school and really fell in love with james khan as like one of my true heroes when it came to like you know men in film and i adore his performance here oh. this I think you said it on the last episode. This is up there with Sonny Corleone. This is up there with Thief, Michael Mann's debut film, which are just two of the finest performances ever in film, ever in the crime genre. And here he does something so special with his character. James Caan truly is a prince in this film. Ugh. I think that he embodies like this prince of, like this prince quality and that's like always think what he's done the best is channeling like this underground royalty in some way like this jewish prince and what he does here is just some of the most phenomenal acting of his career and this is truly one of the great films about addiction that i think captures like that reality of it The way that something like Lost Weekend did with alcoholism in uh, the 1940s, I believe, uh, from Billy Wilder, I think this is... Oh man, it's tough to say, but I really do think this might be like the definitive gambling addiction film. I, as much as Uncut Gems is one of my favorite films of all time, there's something really definitive about James Kahn's portrayal here of like the way that addiction captures someone, and then through uh, the translation of Dostoevsky through uh, the aforementioned guy whose name I will not repeat, <laughs> and then Carol raises directing, where they capture like that true. Like, the pool of addiction in that it's not about winning. Sometimes you want to lose because the thrill is bigger. I this, I, It's hard to go all in on, like, how great this movie is, but it is a classic for a reason.
1: There's... I mean, it's so weird that the only other movie that I thought about that really, truly exhibits that gambling life and the lure of both winning and losing and riding on a good run and then also like almost wanting to squander it all because mm-hmm. that's part of it. The other movie that I actually was thinking about was a, another nineteen seventy four Stone Cold classic California split, Robert Altman's mm-hmm. California Split starring Elliot Gould. Um and now the very unfortunately dearly departed George Siegel. Mm-hmm. And but when we when we talk about the gambler, it's you're so right about James Kahn is that he He's never the king. Mm. But the prince, the shitbag prince is exactly Mm. his persona. I mean, the man is in his 80s. He tweets better than half of the internet. He is, he's, this film is such his, I think what is so powerful about it, it's just this mesh of his incongruities. Mm. He's immense and outlandish talent as well as, his outlandish charm. Mm. And it when you have this film and this incredible cast, but this film particularly just him riding his charm and his instincts all the way to just just unashamedly whatever his impulse is in that moment, mm. it's incredible. And I, I just honestly, you know, Paul Savino, Burt Young. Yeah. I, I mean MM at MM M- M- Walsh. Young James Woods is in there for God's yeah. sake. Uh, I, uh, Lauren Hutton. I just, I also, I, I, absolutely know I'm in the minority, but like, I love The Gambler, 1974, so much that I like the Markey Mark remake. Like, I love, mm. I love this movie, and like Rupert Wyatt's take on this film is so, it's so much more optimistic about mm. the world and about like actually be, being able to know, you know the Candy the Rogers song, like no one to hold him and no one to fold him yeah. and kind of walk away. And, and this movie is like, in that world, it does not exist. Like it mm. does not exist that he will walk away from this. Um, and it's just incredible. I I just, I, it's, it's a phenomenal film. I'm so stoked that it's as part of imprint. And yeah unlo- unlike the theme of this entire month of like making sure that these hidden gems get it like this, is this in its equivalence to Alfie, as far as influence, as far as impact, getting the treatment that it deserves in this beautiful Mm -hmm. package is exactly what I would have liked to see. I think the only thing that could have made this better for me personally, being like a a gambler head is like getting the Mark Wahlberg gambler as well to like have Mm -hmm. the full like remake slash inspirational, like, you know, first feature film, original treatment. But other than that, just this thing here, when I can look at my shelf and appraise it and see the Godfather and the yeah. you know that beautiful Paramount collection, Godfather, the Criterion of Thief, and now the imprint companion of the Gambler. Oh boy, I am a happy, oh my God. happy guy. Imprint, please do
2: everything you can this Christmas to give us a boutique of Elf, the other James <laughs> Kahn classic. That's what we need.
1: We need it, baby. We absolutely need it. Now, Alexi, we have gushed enough. We're gonna quickly hop, skip, and jump into a chat that I am going to have with Matthew Aspergier. My friend, thank you for your effusive gush about this movie. It is so well-deserved, and thank you for this batch. My friend, in the words of Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, (laughs) you are completely batch-worthy, baby. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) And it is my pleasure to spin those discs with you, brother.
1: As promised, ladies and gents, I have Matthew Asprey-Gear, an author of Mosby Confidential, Arthur Penn's Night Moves*, and the Rise of Neo-Noir, and at the end of the street, in the shadow, Orson Welles and the City. He is also, of course, the person who has done the commentary track for James Toback's The Gambler, starring Jimmy James Kahn. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us on Imprint Films. I really appreciate it. No, great to be here. So... I know you're a uh, new Hollywood nut, and this film mm-hmm. is kind of steeped in that lore. And it feels like imprint films, particularly in the last little bit, have been mining the well of these sort of amazing new Hollywood things as part of their 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 curation. Tell me, tell me what attracted to you, or what continues to attract you, firstly to to new Hollywood, and then let's dive into your obsession with movies like The Gambler?
0: New Hollywood, uh, I guess it's it's a period in which uh, there was just a lot of opportunity for directors to pursue, I guess, kind of really uh, complicated subject matter. And, uh, you know, it, it's almost... It was kind of like a brief period where the Hollywood seemed to mature in terms of its subject matter and its approach to things. Um, so I guess that's why looking back on that period you know the sort of late 60s into through the 70s there is this really rich body of films and uh so it's also the time when many uh directors emerged really important directors like scorsese and coppola and so on and uh and carol rice the director of the gambler wasn't you know a czech born english director and he'd made his mark in 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 england in the 60s so It was also a time where people were coming from different parts of the world to hollywood to make movies so yeah that's i guess it's just this rich time where studios didn't seem to know what audiences wanted and there was enough leeway for filmmakers to try new things and yeah it
1: worked i mean it's, it's It works so bad that people have been aping these movies or trying to recapture the secret source of New Hollywood for years. And I feel like, you know, personally for me, and I, and I feel like you with the subject matter that you're so familiar with in your academia and your writings, um, I just can't get enough of New Hollywood because it's, it feels like a, America's self-reflexive moment um, mm-hmm. about like who they are and what it is and and it's it's the existential crisis that the french new wave had already had but it took vietnam to happen in the states for them to have it and Mm -hmm. i feel like it it continues to reverberate like whether it's stylistically or thematically throughout the years but i mean people might not be able to immediately sort of pick it out but you've got you're you're an aussie you're an aussie that is Mm. living in um now in england um no uh, no no I'll, i'm in scotland oh There's scotland a big sorry sorry <laughs> and, and aussie living Never in say that to a scotsman <laughs> sorry sorry I'll,
0: I'll i'll let you i'll let you get away with that
1: but, oh uh, you that, that's in, right i
0: live in glasgow at the moment
1: no. you're living in glasgow the the lovely former like steel town that it was can i ask where where in your life did you start like being able to dive into new hollywood because in oz if you know knowing that you you know grew up in Oz and and went to university here and things like that. Was university your gateway to these films as a starting point? Because that was certainly a gateway for me and and Mm -hmm. many people I know because like university libraries were such a rich resource of VHS tapes and DVDs and things like that that maybe weren't in your local video store.
0: Well, I definitely used, uh, because I went to Macquarie University and uh, as an undergrad, I would go over to the Australian Film Television Radio School Ah, Library, which uh, had this great collection of of films that you really couldn't find anywhere else. And so I would go and look in their little viewing booths and I'd watch all these, you know, European classics and stuff. Um, But as far as New Hollywood... I always kind of had a, had a sort of peripheral awareness of those films because I would catch certain things on television when I was a kid. I remember seeing movies like uh, Marathon Man. And yes. uh, I remember that being, and The Conversation as well, actually. And I'd saw these, like they were on, you know, one in the morning and I'd watch these films and uh, there's something about the aesthetic of these films, cinematography, the music, very distinctive, very creepy at times. Uh, you know, I found these films really eerie, and so I guess that kind of stuck in the back of my mind. Um, that okay, that period's really interesting. But when I did go to university, yeah, I, I really did get exposed to a lot of other filmmakers, a lot of a lot of other films, and yeah, in fact, even now I'm still finding. You know kind of forgotten early 70s films that i suddenly realized oh wow this is this is really interesting and uh so it's 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 a huge body of films uh, to dive into so i guess yeah it's 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 I, I grew up you know where the the awareness of 70s films was you know star wars so yes, yes. But star wars is really the dividing point where <laughs> uh, a very different type of movie uh you know, emerged and the stuff that sort of was pre-Star Wars now is what really fascinates me.
1: Yeah. Look, I couldn't agree more. And it's, um, there's a great podcast, friends of one heat minute productions, Drew McQueenie and Scott Weinberg, they did the eighties all over podcast. And Mm -hmm. I remember talking to them about like some of my favorite episodes of those weird night, like exactly 1980 because there's mm-hmm. still so much 70s energy and like 80 to 81 yeah. feels like 80, the 80s mm-hmm. itself don't even know what they are yet there's an identity crisis and it's the same sort of evolution that happens in the late 70s you start to see these appearing like these mm-hmm. eight prototypical what people would describe as like 80s movie temple blockbusters and re-educating the american public and what was possible in that realm whereas you've still also got these lovely weird you know you have star wars and empire strikes back and indiana jones's and you also have apocalypse now um, and you have so, Cutter's Way and films <laughs> cut like that, which cut way. it's like
0: the 70s is still kind of going on. And I mean, yeah, these filmmakers who we think of as new Hollywood directors, uh, you know, they didn't stop making films immediately. No. I mean, um, obviously, George Lucas and Spielberg are new Hollywood directors, too. But, you know, those Friedkin was still making movies and even Coppola was still making films. Uh, so it took a long time, I guess, for the generation to... Who had defined seventies film to kind of drift away from it, and uh, yeah, there's lots of great eighties, seventies films as well.
1: So now let's let's talk about the gambler. Mm-hmm. You're, you've just recently done the commentary track for imprint Tell me about tell me about this movie, and really tell me about its impact on you, and why you still think if you do that, it's still having an impact today. Because it's I I think this movie is such a slice of undiluted brilliance that I'm the kind of person who even so was so thoroughly enamored by the, the Mark Wahlberg remake of the gambler, even though they're doing completely different (laughs) things because of the, because of, I don't know, there's just some secret source in this story and the way that it's told, even though the original is markedly more bleak and true Mm to the seventies, but tell me about how it impacted you and and how excited you were to kind of be a part of this, this first time on blu-ray for the gambler.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a film I've always uh, loved. Uh, I saw it, I guess, a long time ago, and uh, but then coming back to relook at it to prepare for the commentary, I realize. I mean, I also realize how well it fits into the into the seventies, into that very specific moment. Yes, I mean, like so many films of this period, uh, you know, it's a movie about failure, and yeah. maybe that's another thing that's so specific about the seventies is all these films about people failing. And uh, you don't really see that in other periods in Hollywood too much, certainly not today. Um, And this is a film about a very, I guess, severe kind of failure. Um, Although the way it's presented is pretty provocative because, you know, I think this is a very existential film. I, the more I looked at it, the more I sort of realized that the screenwriter Toback was basically, I think trying to sort of dramatize some of the ideas of Norman Mailer about how people really are only alive in an existential way if they're kind of close to, to oblivion, you know, kind of flirting with the abyss. And that's the only thing that makes us feel alive in the modern world. I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy, but that's, I
1: think, what. Mela makes it so sexy, though. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah he makes, does. He makes um, it so but... sexy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's that's a huge discussion, this kind of... I mean, it's very much, an, I guess, a philosophical idea of its time. But uh, what I think makes this film really work is because the director, Carl Rice, brings a sort of slight objectivity to it. I mean, I yes. think he isn't totally willing to embrace the main character played by James Caan as some paragon of, you know, this is the existential hero. I think he brings a bit more objectivity to it. Uh, which is, I think the reason why so many of James Toback's other screenplays that he directed don't really work for me as well. But uh, yeah, so I think it's it's just this mixture of uh, collaborators that, you know, they're all kind of at the top of their game. And uh, I, I think it's so impressive how Carol Rice just fits into the 70s aesthetic since he, he was coming from a, you know, a different film culture is coming from british film culture and he just dives straight into it he also made another great film in the 70s in hollywood uh, called who will stop the rain based mm. on dog soldiers by robert stone so i think those two they're they're great they're a great kind of double feature actually because uh rice just jumps straight into what was going on in uh, the united states at this time and uh i very perceptively
1: it's it's so funny that you that in this particular imprint wave that we're talking about, it's mm-hmm. bookended by The Gambler. So this seminal 1974 movie and 1974, almost one of the, maybe the best movie years ever. Um, I'd say <laughs> it's, 73, but so, yeah, sure. It's, it's like, it's, it's really splitting hairs in that middle corridor of the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. It's like so hard. There are so many wonderful films. But, you know, it's really interesting that britain was all had already gone through this sort of existential quandary moment itself cinematically with something like alfie and was so Mm -hmm. uh so like uh sort of kind of almost antagonistically like self-reflexive like hey have a look at how much fun i'm having have a look at Mm -hmm. how much i'm basically lying to you that this is all going to be okay and you're just sort of watching a person self-destruct in front of you but obviously with the greatest level of charm, like Michael Caine, uh, of course, you know, sort of like, and that's, I think maybe some of the core that you're talking about with Carl Rice, bringing that objectivity lens to the mm. gambler, which is like you, it's, it is sexy and you're enamored by it and the script and the way that it's written, but it's just, I love how how you described as this like little sort of distance that Mm -hmm. just that calculated distance from the subject matter that just makes you pause and go, is this really the best idea? Is this really romantic? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's neither, it's not judgmental really neither. So it's not condemning this character for being, I mean, he's clearly (laughs) kind of an asshole. I mean, (laughs) beyond the fact that he's a gambling addict, that's what, that's what struck me about it is like, this film's really bold because you know, we, we see so many addiction narratives yes. about uh, people being dragged down to the abyss by their addictions, whatever they happen to be. And, then, and usually we have this redemptive arc they get out of it. Um, and this one, it, it doesn't use the addiction as an excuse for, for his behavior either. I mean, there's other aspects to the character besides the addiction and what that's driving him to. Um, and it, so it doesn't necessarily judge him Uh, in in a positive or a negative way, it kind of just shows this descent. And uh, even though it ends with a very kind of bleak ending, he sort of seems he looks at himself in the mirror in this kind of triumph, like he's made it to the crazy, you know, area he wants to be. And uh, so it's very bold that it does this. And, uh, you know, I think it really really works uh and you know james khan's performance manages to sell you know a character who's very ugly in many ways uh, and he he never stops being compelling
1: in as people might have heard uh, alexia and i talk in the previous episode of imprint companion we discussed that like it is really hard for each of us to distinguish a favorite james khan performance between michael man's thief mm-hmm. Francis Ford coppola's the godfather and the gambler Because those three films are just so Khan at the peak of his powers and charm. And Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily likable. And none of those characters are necessarily wholly likable. They're extremely complicated and they've got depth and they've got rough edges and they're... But nonetheless, just extremely committed performances. And I just, I, I can't get enough of him in this movie. He's just so wonderful. And like, again it's so weird to say that like James Kahn's underrated, but like in the era of, <laughs> in the era of the seventies, he kind of like was underrated. And I think a lot of that reappraisal that's happening with the period is going back to his films and going, you know, actually maybe he was amazing and just never fully got his dues. Cause it just so happened that he was in, you know, some of the most giant movies as a supporting player, not the leading guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's uh he was very consistently making movies all through the period and uh, i mean I, i've got to check out for example his i know he did a film of uh, john Updike's rabbit run that i've never yes. seen uh, but There's he a plays a basketball player in that one as well so yeah i mean he made a lot of movies and so many of these are being rediscovered um yeah he's uh i guess also because he kind of is a movie star and we do sometimes. You know, he looks like a movie star and we sometimes over, I guess we overlook the, the acting qualities of, of big movie stars. Uh, you know, it's easy to appreciate Gene Hackman because he was never a conventional movie star. Um, you know, a tremendously great actor, but uh, yeah. So, so you sometimes have to look at the, you know, the, the stars of the period and say, well, actually, yeah, I mean, they were really good actors as well <laughs> yeah. as being, you know, movie stars like Steve McQueen or someone.
1: Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope that a, a stack of people firstly pick up the gamble, which I don't think is going to be hard for people to do. People have wanted this movie on Blu-ray and physical media heads who are listening, I can't wait to get their hands on it. Um, so thank you so much for chatting. If you do appear on another uh, uh, imprint uh you know imparting your wisdom on some other imprint a label thing i'm going to harass you again to be on the show so this is a preemptive warning but i do have to ask because you said that 1973 was a great period what's another film give me another film that uh, we can shout out for for our friends at imprint that you know a 1973 Mm. gem that you're like percolating your head like i don't know if there's a good enough blu-ray restoration a good enough version of something that's out there Cause I'm always a big fan of like shouting it into the universe if, if we yeah. want it to happen. So is there something from 1973 or 74 that you're like, you know what, in print films, this is what we need to get happening. I'll
0: have to check if uh, Electro Glide in blue is on Blu-ray, but uh, that, that's, that's a, a bit of very uh, slightly obscure uh, biker cop film that I, I think from 73, that's, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, Charlie Varick is now out on Blu ray, so I can't recommend that. That's another one of my favorites. Actually, and I will say there's a film called The Outfit, which is based on a Richard Stark uh, Parker novel with Robert Duvall and Joe Don Baker. Uh, I don't think that's around on Blu ray, but that's a, a really underrated, low budget 70s crime film.
1: Very hard boiled. Electric Light in Blue, from what I can see, is available on Blu ray, I think, as part of the warner brothers uh catalog so it may be available but i don't know if the outfit has a blu-ray i'm just going to check it out if it doesn't or if it's not readily available i think i mean come on we got to shout that it doesn't look like the outfit john flynn 1973 consider mm-hmm. that out in the universe matt thank you so that's much. that's my
0: uh, request yeah <laughs> where, can,
1: where can people find you is is there places online that people can check out your stuff and find you if they want to inter- interact with you after they hear this chat
0: yeah sure um i have a website matthewesburygear.com and i'm on twitter so yeah i'm out there
1: matt is out there thank you so much for being a part of me companion matt it's a real pleasure to chat to you
0: okay thanks blake cheers